Father, we just want to invite you into this uh, place today, into our hearts and lives. Uh, we ask that you'll just speak a fresh word to us this morning, Father, that all the, any distractions that we came in with today, God, that you'll just quench those, you'll quiet those, quiet our minds, allow our souls to be still so that we can hear clearly whatever truth, whatever love you have to share with us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Was this anybody's Christmas morning? Yeah, we've, we've probably all been there, right? Listen, it takes a lot of work and time to build something up and about two seconds to knock it down, doesn't it? It is always, listen, it is always easier to tear something down than it is to build something up. Now, when it's just a little cup tower like this and the kid sister comes and knocks it over, that's kind of funny, isn't it? But it's a whole different deal when it comes to building one another up when it comes to, to, to uh, living life together with another person or with other people and building a life together. That's a whole different story, isn't it? Now, we see a picture of that uh, in, in a marriage at a wedding ceremony on that wedding day. If you haven't been to one, I've just been to one recently. And it's always beautiful, and it's kind of funny as well. Uh, you see the bride and groom, and they are so excited. In fact, they're so excited to what build a life together. They, they go from flying solo to having this other person now in their life, and they are just extremely excited to, to, to start that journey about building life together. Uh, and, but on their, their wedding day, in fact, they start doing things that they normally, most couples normally don't do in their, their regular routine of life, like dancing. I mean, couples on their wedding, they like dance like crazy. They, they probably don't ever dance uh, at all. But on the wedding, they're dancing like nobody's watching and everybody's watching because they're the bride and groom. But they don't care because they're just so excited. that They're taking romantic pictures in meadows uh, on, on some kind of swing somewhere on a tree. They're, ne they're never going to take pictures like that again. Are they old married couples? We know as old married couples, we're sitting there smiling. Yes, we are smiling because we're excited for them. We're so happy for them because now they found each other, they get to build that life together. But we are also smiling because we know the honeymoon doesn't last long, does it? We know, in fact, that when you choose to build a life together with another person, in most cases, it is not a party. Most of the time, it is not a party, but, but hear this, it is still worth fighting for isn't it? Building that life with someone else is always worth fighting for. And so today I want us to look at uh, a different kind of marriage. That's the marriage between Christ and his bride, the marriage between Christ and his church. And so in particular, I want us to actually look at how a church body, a group of broken, redeemed people like me, like you, how when we come together now as a church family and start living life together, trying to build a life together with one another, how we're supposed to actually go about doing that by actually fighting for what's important, by actually fighting for what really matters. Because in many cases, as a church family, we start fighting for things that aren't right. We start fighting for personal agendas and for personal expectations. And really what we're saying is we're fighting for self, for selfish reasons. 
and motivations. And so it's so important as we build this life together, we've got to remember and recognize what is worth fighting for. So how does a church body, all these broken and messed up people that are being redeemed, how do we stay unified as a church family in the calling that Christ has actually given his bride, actually given his church? How can we stay unified in that sense, in that great gospel message? How can we continue to, to go deeper in the gospel and share that beautiful good news with a world that so desperately needs it. Well, t turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, or you can look on any screen you got, uh, to Ephesians chapter 4, and before we, we dive into the text, let me just give you a little snapshot or a little summary of what's going on in this book in case you're not really familiar with it. This is the, the book of Ephesians. It's, it's an epistle. It's a letter that was written by the apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus is the city. It was a major city in Asia Minor. And Paul's writing this letter because Paul's invested in this church at Ephesus. He helped plant this church. He lived among them together, building one another up with them uh, for, for years, actually. Uh, all the, the Jews and Gentiles coming together, a bunch of broken uh, people trying to, to, to come under now that calling of the gospel in a brand new way. So he's writing this letter, but he's writing this letter to, to them uh, while he's in prison in Rome. Now, there's debate about the purpose, like why he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. In fact, a lot of scholars will kind of break up the book of Ephesians into two main categories. Uh, one is those first three chapters that they kind of consider the, the doctrinal uh, statements where, where Paul is, is, is really dealing with a lot of uh, uh, doctrinal, uh, foundational things in our faith. And then those last three chapters, a lot of scholars consider it's kind of that ethical, practical living where you're living out your faith. But I want to submit to you today that, that those two are always married so to speak. They always go hand in glove. What we believe and how we live that out, they are always joined together. That They're never uh, separated. And you see this theme in Ephesians that, get re that gets repeated uh, about unity. Unity in Christ and unity in the body of Christ. And so as we think about that, I think unity gets birth from one of our major doctrines, the Trinity. That divine fellowship that, that, that uh, Paul talks about. In fact, this letter is actually called the, the Trinitarian letter because eight different times Paul actually talks about this divine fellowship, this Trinity. And I think unity gets birthed out of that doctrine. And unity is so critical to the church body and to accomplish actually loving one another in Christ. We need to understand that, how uh, we're to be unified in Christ and love one another as Christ loved his bride. So let's pick up in verse 1 in chapter 4, and you may have a little subheading there in, in your text that says unity and maturity in the body of Christ. But Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, man, I am in, this is so important. Listen, church family, this is so important. He is writing to the church at, at Ephesus, but it echoes to us as a church family today. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. To do that, you're going to need to be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, some translations say, be eager to maintain unity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now you see a lot of ones there, a lot of oneness that Paul repeats and, and starts talking about. But guys, listen, the, one of the things as a church family that, that we should be fighting for is unity. Because guys, listen, just like Paul wrote, unity is not mandated, it has to be chosen. Unity is not something that, that, that's a mandate. We've got to choose that as a church family united in Christ. And guys, when we start walking with one another and living life together with others, we start facing some challenges, don't we? Now, sadly, I think that a lot of churches today, we think that, the cha- that our primary challenge, it comes from outsiders, from the people that are out there, the culture wars, and the unbelievers that are living like unbelievers. We think that's our challenge, guys. That's our mission. That's not our challenge. Those people are our mission. We are united in that calling to actually take good news and light and hope to people that desperately need us. Outsiders should be drawn to us, not repelled by us. We should not be hiding from them. We should be inviting them into our lives because we've got hope and joy and love and peace as we're united in Christ. So our problem is not out there. Listen, the problem that Paul's talking about, he knows, is within. It's the insiders. It's the people in our church family. When he talks about, listen, you're going to need to bear with one another in love. When somebody says, hey, you got to bear with something, that means there's a lot of unbearable people that you're going to be living life with. That's what he said. We know this, right? A lot of of times we're unbearable people. And Paul's saying you're going to have to learn to bear with one another in love. So we've got to be eager to maintain that unity. And in order to maintain it, we've actually got to know where it comes from. We've, we've got to understand where this unity is, comes from. And when Paul writes here, when he, when he talks about we, we've got to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, that's not the little S, that's the big S. He is talking about the Holy Spirit, one of the persons in the Godhead. He is saying that is our source of unity. And that Spirit now, what, what, what Paul is representing here is that, and there's fruit now that comes from God's Holy Spirit. And it shows up here, we, we see uh, three fruits of the Spirit, it, uh, being humble and gentle and patient. We see those, he writes about those again in Galatians 5, in the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul is saying here, you got to understand unity comes from the Spirit. It is gifted to us through the Spirit. And so now, when we walk together to maintain that unity in Christ, we have to be humble. And humility is not uh, thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Married couples, you know this. This is the secret sauce when you're living life together intimately like that with another person, isn't it? about serving that other person, about thinking about the other person first. That's the secret ingredient. That's one of them, isn't it? In fact, when, when I do premarital counseling, I always talk to the, the couples. They never listen, but I say it every time. I was like, listen, the only competition that you need to have in your marriage is to outserve one another. That, that's what you should be competing for. You should be trying to outserve one another. That just means you should be considering the other person First, always. He says we've got to be gentle with one another. That means that, that we can't uh, actually try and, and, and uh, exhibit dominance over another person. We've got to be gentle with one another. We've got to be patient 
with one another. We've got to move at somebody else's pace. Guys, these are all the fruits of the Spirit that get produced over and over and over again in a church family that is fighting for unity from God's Holy Spirit. See, we fight to maintain unity by always thinking of others first. By not trying to to be dominant over another person, regardless of what gift we've been given, regardless of whatever status we think we may have. And guys, we have got to make sure that everybody counts. That, That every person in the church family, not just a few, not just the quote important people, but every person in our church family is actually maturing in their faith, maturing in their walk with Christ. Another way to say that is, and I say this all the time in our journey classes, is, guys, when we encounter people, we've got to help disciple people right where they are, not where we wish they were, don't we? And that's what Paul is talking about here. We have to choose to fight for unity when we interact with one another based around how the leader, our leader, interacts with us. And so we take our cues how we're supposed to act from the example set by this divine fellowship, this divine trinity that we see here and we maintain unity in the body when we have a very clear understanding of who the leader actually is and what it actually means to follow him. See, a critical component of unity comes from following the right leader. We know this. This is a transferable principle, whether it's a church family or not, right? We choose to follow the leader, but we don't get to choose how to follow the leader. Now, you guys know this. Unity is always kept around a common cause. In this case, it's the common cause of Christ and his unity. So unity is always built around this common cause led by an inspirational leader. Now, have you guys ever done something with a group of people and you had a terrible leader? How'd that work out? I'll give you just a silly example. Uh, A long time ago, uh, I like doing adventurous stuff. I don't have the wire that's connected to make me be afraid of stuff. So I was like, hey, could I die? That sounds like fun. So I, I, I took a group of river raft, and I'd already been a bunch of times. Uh, but, but most of the people that I took, they had never been uh, whitewater rafting before. And so we get there, and our leader, our guide, our, our river rafting guide, shows up like 20, 30 minutes late. So it's always strike one. This guy's probably going to be terrible. And he, he delivered, man. He was terrible. We got in the boat. We, we, we pushed off. And the very first thing he said was, Hey man, and I'm not, he'd actually talk like this. Like Paul, so he's like, Hey man, I, I forgot my paddle. I don't know where it is. I was like, Well, there it is. So I, I gave him my paddle. And so uh, all the way down the river, he, he should be like di- directing and instructing all these rookies to paddle through the rapids. But all he keeps saying is, Man, do you know this is the deepest gorge on the East Coast? I was like, ah, that is fantastic. How about you, you tell these people how to get to this rapid? We're spinning, we're getting stuck on rocks the whole time, and I kid you not, halfway down the trip, uh, there is a paddle stuck in the sand on the shore, and he says, dude, I found my paddle. I had a great time. Nobody else in the boat did, though, because we had a terrible leader, because it was disunity and disharmony, distrust. They, people were looking at me like, what have you done to us, Jonathan? You know this because the leader always sets the tone. Who the leader is, guys, listen. Who that leader is, it it ultimately flows into the boat and it permeates 
the culture. So what does our leader look like, church family? What kind of leader do we have? I think Paul has given us a glimpse into it through the doctrine of the Trinity right here. That divine fellowship is used on purpose, right? Because there are three people constantly loving one another, constantly deferring to one another. The Father, we see it all throughout Scripture. The Father talks about the Son. What does he say? This is my Son whom I love. I love him. I am pleased with him. Listen to him. And the Son, in response, he defers back, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And the Holy Spirit has to lead Jesus, has to lead the Son into some really hard spaces and places, but he always comforts him, and he defers to him to say, I want you to know that, that Christ, the Son of God, is the sustainer and creator of everything, and he is the head of the church. So we see this divine fellowship. Could you imagine if there was division in the Trinity? Could you imagine that? Most of the time, guys, when we consider the Trinity, the, the, the Godhead, the three persons in ones, what, what do we want to do? What's the only thing we care about? How is that even possible? The questions we start asking, well, how does that work? So we come up with these stupid uh, analogies. Uh, oh, it's a hair braid. It's an egg. The point, guys, listen, the, the point of that divine fellowship is not to figure out how it's possible or how it works. The question we need to ask is why it's necessary. Why is it necessary, guys? Do you understand that before creation, before we were born, before anything was ever created, love was present? Why? Because in order to express love and demonstrate love to another person, guess what there has to be? Another person. So you have this perfect divine fellowship of love even before anything was created. You have this perfect harmony, this perfect unity, and now out of that unity comes our leader, and so Paul writes in verses 15 through 16, he says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. And he's talking to the church at Ephesus, but it's also talking to us today. He says, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. He leaves he lives no room for error. He makes it crystal clear. Christ is our leader. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, and listen to this, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We've been given this, we have to fight for unity because that's how we build one another up in love. And if you flip over to chapter 5, those first two verses, Paul continues to talk about the leader. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Guys, who is he? What kind of leader do we have? We have the kind that sacrifices everything for his bride. We have the kind of leader that, that doesn't do it forcefully. He willingly gave up everything for her, for us. We, we have, man, that, that, that kind of leader that is humble and gentle and patient with us. That is the kind of leader that you will run through brick walls for. That is the kind of leader that we want to follow. Guys, that is the kind of leader we're fighting for, isn't it? 
So now when we understand, man, who is actually in charge and what kind of leader he is, now we get to follow his example to maintain that unity. So now our leader instructs the other person of the Trinity, the Spirit, to give us gifts. Why does he give us these gifts? They're not for our own self-edification. They're not for us. They're for each other. As we use and are humble and patient and gentle, we use these gifts for one another so that we can be built up in love. The problem is if we're not careful, we start using these for our own selfish desires. We, we just had Christmas, and, and my guess is, is that somebody probably gave you a present. Somebody gave you a gift, and what happens when we get given a gift? We use it on who? ourselves right now there's not necessarily wrong with that i got a watch and so i'm wearing it right the problem is the gifts in the body of christ the gifts that are given to us as a church family so that we can remain united and build one another up in love they are not intended to be used for our own self-glorification we've got to use those gifts not for ourselves for other people in the church Family, the problem becomes when we start wielding them and using them for our own purposes and for ourselves because now what we start fighting for is power. Now we start fighting for control in the church family. Now we start fighting to be seen by others. Now we start fighting to be heard by others. Now we start fighting for this unity we start fighting for the best seats for prominence we even start fighting to upgrade our gifts like hey this this isn't good enough i, I want to exchange it for some better gift, better gift like it's some stupid christmas swap i've, I've said this before in another sermon I, I think god has actually given me the gift of administration you can't have it i know you want it nobody wants it i don't want it thankfully it's not for me it's not for me i use that gift for you, for others, when it gets used accordingly. Thank goodness we have a gracious leader who sets the tone because his life and his work demand a different way from us. Living a life that's not about self-glorification, but it's about pointing people to his father. It's about actually demanding that, that, that we're going to build one another up in love. So how do we do this now? Paul actually gets super practical here. He said, okay, how do we go about building one another up in love and unity of Christ? We know that. We, don't, we know we don't get to, we have to choose unity. We have to choose to follow the leader and, and, and learn from his example. So now, how do we do that? How do we build one another up in love? Well, we can start by not tearing each other down. And in verses 29 through 32, well, it gets really practical now, but remember that doctrine and that practical living is married. So he says in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So he starts with a negative command. He says, listen, to build one another up, stop tearing each other down. And right there he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And unwholesome there, that, that, that's not just saying, hey, don't cuss anybody out. As long as you don't cuss them out, you're good. No, unwholesomeness means that when, you, if, when you're about to say words to somebody, are those words going to rip at them? 
Are, are, are they going to tear them down or are they going to build them up? Are you about to divide that person and potentially divide, cause, cause division in the church family with what you're about to say? Because that is unholy, not H-O-L-Y, that is unholy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. You are about to tear somebody down. And Paul is saying, another way to say this is just to say, Paul is basically saying, hey, listen, put another way, you need to keep your mouth shut if it's about to tear somebody down. And guys, we know this. The world knows this principle, don't they? Every year we watch You've Got Mail. It's a little Christmas movie, or I guess it's not. But it's a rom-com. It's an old one. I'm not going to explain it to you. So Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, they're the stars. But in one of the scenes, um, uh, Meg Ryan, and, and some of you guys may experience this, she talks about how, man, she just hates it when somebody says mean and nasty words to her. She paralyzes. She freezes up. She can never know what to say back that's mean and nasty. So he encourages her to do it, and she finally does it. Like, yes, somebody was mean and nasty to me, and she, she, man, she lets him have it, and she immediately regrets it. Why? Because words are so heavy. Words are so powerful. When we use words like that, they will tear a person down. We know that words can build up and tear down, but they are unequally weighted. Those words that we say that are hurtful and harmful and tear people down, they are weighty. And you know this, guys, somebody has spoken something to you, somebody has said something over you, somebody has said something behind your back or about you, and chances are you are still carrying that weight around with you. Because words are so powerful, they carry so much weight. And guys, listen, when they are unholy, man, they divide us and they tear us down. And now you may be thinking, yeah, John, but something, where, what about the truth? Sometimes people just need to be told the truth. I'm just a truth teller. I can't help it. That's my gift. I'm just being honest. No, what you're being is mean. You're being mean and nasty. If, guys, listen, yes, we do need to, to, to be told the truth sometimes, don't we? But we also need to remember what we're fighting for. And Paul is saying, listen, if your words that you're about to speak, if they're not going to benefit others and build them up, then you need to shut your face. He didn't say that, but you know, he did say shut your mouth. So he's saying, listen, we got to remember, guys, listen, that how and why you say something matters far more than what you say. Intent will always trump content. Honesty, yes, needs to show up. We need, we need to make sure that what we're saying actually is true, but we don't have to say everything that is true, do we? Because if we're not speaking the truth to people, humbly and gently and patiently we are lousy truth tellers and we are doing more harm than good do you want to build somebody up start by not tearing them down you've got to check your intent before you decide to speak words to somebody because they're so heavy You've got to be thoughtful about your intent. Paul is saying, listen, if the intent here, if there's still anger behind the words that are about to come out of your mouth, if there is still bitterness and jealousy, I think bitterness is the root of jealousy, if there is still malice, if you are slandering people and going around and talking about people behind their back, that is ill intent, and you don't need to say those words. And Paul is saying, we have to check our intent to say, hey, are the words that I'm about to speak, are they going to benefit this person? Are they going to build them up? And if not, 
If they're not going to speak grace into their life, we just need to shut up and experience self-control. To build one another up, that's what we do. We practice that self-control. And you're like, Man, you just don't know how hard that, that is. We, we can do it because self-control turns out as a fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of unity. He gives us that. So when you have the Spirit of the living God living in you, guess what you have? Self-control. And you can practice that. Now, that's the negative command that Paul gives us to help build each other up. So let's end with a happy note. Let's end on a more positive note where he says to build one another up, we need to practice non-portion control. He ends in verse 32 there and he says, we've got to be kind and compassionate and forgiving to one another. This is where, man, we don't have to to worry about portion control. We don't have to have self-control there. We can just have no portion control. We know this. We just went through the holiday season where we had no portion control about what we ate. Right. Usually it's like, oh, I've got to have these four ounces of fish and three ounces of green beans. You're like, man, I'm eating that cookie. I'm going to eat 12 of those cookies. It's the holidays. We had no portion control. And when it comes to encouraging words, when it comes to edifying words that are going to build somebody up, man, let loose. We do not have to have control there. Don't let the right words loaded with the right intent get left unsaid. Think about this, guys. No, nobody ever traces the root of their problems to too much encouragement. It's like, man, you know, I, my, my life didn't turn out great, but it's because everybody kept encouraging me. When you think about that, you don't have to wonder, man, have I encouraged this person too much? H- have I told them that I love them too much? H- have I told them how much they mean to me, to this family? to this church family, how valuable they are to the unity of this family. Have I said that way too much? It is the one area that we get to let loose and we don't have to worry about portion control where we can just keep pouring on the encouragement, keep saying encouraging words that are gonna build each other up because Proverbs 16, 24 tells us kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Now, you know this, I know this. I want to read you a little note that was given to me by somebody in our church family not too long ago. Now, if you know me, I, I, I am the opposite of a hoarder. I, I don't like to keep stuff. In fact, if you give me such stuff, I'll say, that's great, and as soon as you leave, I'll throw it away. <laughs> but what I do keep are words. If, if they are words where the intent is to build me up and to encourage me and edify me, man, I really, I, I, I hold on to those notes. And this note starts by saying, JJ, oh, hey, bro. (laughs) It's not the river rafting guide that came back. But they, they say, oh, hey, bro, I'm not sure if I ever officially thanked you for your leadership in my life. And me moving feels like a good time to do that. Two years in ministry probably would have looked very different without your guidance and example to look to. Thank you for stepping in where I needed it and for challenging me to grow a little bit more each week. I feel blessed to know you and call you friend even if you roast me all the time. Lots of love. Now, I share that not to pat myself on the back. Maybe I was some encouragement to them, but man, I I know this. These words continue to be an encouragement to me, Especially, especially when somebody has just spoken words over me that have torn me down. I will go back to notes like this and I will read them again. And guess what? Every single time I read them, I get built back up because words are so powerful. And these words, this is when you write words down like this, 
that is non-portion control. That means if I save this note, I can read it over as much as I want and be built up in love. And so I want you to consider a couple questions this week. I want you to meditate maybe and even pray over just a couple questions in light of God's truth, in light of what just was shared this morning. Maybe meditate over a couple questions this week. And the first one is just this. Where does God need to work on you in terms of following his leadership? We're pretty good, guys. When it comes to Jesus being our leader, he's our Savior and Lord. We get really excited about that saving portion of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made, that example that he says as our leader. We're like, thank God you saved me. I couldn't do it. I got try, tired of trying to do it. I finally fell down at your feet and said, save me, God. Thank you so much for being who you are, for giving your life for me when you didn't have to, for forgiving me of every single sin I've ever done or I'm ever going to do, and now I get to have life life and hope by your grace thank god we're good at that but he's also lord and that's the part sometimes that we struggle with isn't it it, it, that guys listen if you've never done that if you've never put your faith and trust in the person of christ as savior and lord of your life right now where you say i'm going to give it up i'm going to give my life over to you if you've never done that i would encourage you to do that now's your chance it will be the best decision you will ever make and it won't even be closed second decision will be a galaxy away it'll be the best decision that you ever make and i would encourage you to do that but guys that is the starting point as we follow our leader, as we continue to follow Christ. He sends his spirit to transform us and sanctify us from the inside out to make us, to change us and transform us into the person we were always created to be. And so as we continue to follow him and make him Lord of our life, that transformation still happens. And so I wanna ask you again, where does God need to work on you in terms of following his leadership? And two, who in your life right now is hoping and maybe praying that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will get to work on your heart as soon as possible? Now, translation, what I'm saying is, who is that person? Or who, who are those persons in your life right now where if they were to write you a note, it might read differently? They might write you a note like, I don't know why when you talk to me, you hurt me so much. I don't know why you keep saying the, the, the things that you do to me because it breaks my heart and it tears me down and I don't understand it and I don't know how much more I can take of it. And I know that I'm not the issue. I know that only God can change the heart and so I'm just praying that God's gonna change your heart so that the words you say won't tear people down, that they'll build people up. Who? in your life right now is just hoping and praying that the Spirit's going to get to work on your heart as soon as possible. Because there is wonder in oneness and when we choose to be unified under His oneness, unified by loving one another just like He loves us, man, that's when things start to get made whole again. There is too much at stake not to be unified in our one true calling in life as we live life together with a bunch of unbearable people and work out our faith together, united in Christ. Would you pray with me?
God, I'm so grateful that um, it's your love. Father, that, that you love each other, that, Father, you love your Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves you, and out of that flows unity and harmony and peace and love. Christ, I'm so thankful. I'm glad, I'm glad you're my leader. I'm glad you're our leader. Pray that we'll keep following you, that you'll keep changing us so that we can love one another today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.